the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. Africa has become the fastest urbanizing region of the world, with rural migrants moving into cities at a clip that has even surpassed that of China and India. By 2050, Africa's 1.1 billion person population is slated to double, with 80% of this growth happening in cities. By 2025, more than 100 cities in Africa will contain over a million people. With this breakneck pace of urbanization comes many unprecedented economic opportunities, and with it, renewed interest for shipping following that trade. But Africa's potential is hardly new news. China has been pumping investment into African infrastructure for years under the One Belt, One Road initiative. Despite periodic enthusiasm from port operators trying to ensure that they get their foothold in the inevitable emerging markets, Africa is still seen as a risk to be managed for the long term rather than a near-term tangible revenue driver. But could that be finally changing? The exit of Trump and President Joe Biden's initial enthusiasm to re-engage in multilateral institutions is worth noting here. The US is increasingly looking like it wants to pivot to Africa. Biden wants to strike up free trade with African states, and the US sees Africa as a place that they want to strategically compete with China. Africa becoming a strategic place of competition changes the game when it comes to trade, and for shipping, the mid-term opportunities might just be about to become more interesting. So with that in mind, I invited podcast regular Mark Williams, Managing Director of the rather excellent Shipping Strategy, to offer us a few thoughts on why Africa needs to be higher up the industry's agenda right now. Five, seven, ten years ago, we were all wondering the big challenge of the 21st century is going to be what do we do with the spare two billion people? Now we're looking at global population peaking by 2050. Um, And in fact, with the COVID baby bust that's happened around the world, global population may peak before then. Africa is one of the few places in the world, it's difficult to generalize about an entire continent, but Africa is one of the few places in the world with a growing population. And its population has gone from 5 to 25% of the global total since 1950. And it'll be a bigger proportion by 2050. So it is one of the key growth areas for GDP and for trade of the 21st century. It will supply energy, commodities, materials and labor for the 21st century Um, and of course the US and China are extremely interested in competing over Africa's resources so it's not just the Chinese lending 150 billion dollars in Belt and Road initiatives to more than 40 African nations it's not just about the treaty port in Djibouti plus the container terminal in Nigeria plus the Chinese probably going to take Casablanca port on long term Um, So, you know, they're setting up ports all around Africa, extending their string of pearls into the Atlantic so that they can cover their oil assets in Nigeria and gas assets in Nigeria and Angola, as well as East Africa. It's also about the fact that there's going to be two and a half billion Africans soon, and they have become consumers of low cost tech, telecoms, telephones, online banking systems, all that sort of stuff, which China does really well. Um, so China also wants to extend its sources of supply. So, you know, China relies on Australia and on Brazil for 70% of its iron ore. And with iron ore prices pushing up, at what are they? I don't know what they are today, $170 a tonne sort of range. 
Um, you know, it's in China's interest to think about alternatives. So they're 50% shareholders in Samandu in, in Guinea. Guinean iron ore is the same as Brazilian iron ore because Guinea and, and Brazil used to stick together and then the continents drifted. It's the same quality. The trouble is it's 400 kilometers from a deep sea port. That's no problem for a Chinese railway construction company. Um, and uh, and you've got to start from scratch, but it's got the largest untapped reserves of iron ore in the world. Why wouldn't the Chinese be interested in that when they see themselves being uh, screwed by uh, by the iron ore producers in Australia in particular? So there are lots of reasons why the Chinese are interested, and that makes the Americans interested. They don't want the Chinese to have it all their own way. And then, of course, there's Europe's historical association with Africa through colonialism and Commonwealth. Uh, and the fact that Europe has pipelines into North Africa, has a lot of trade with North Africa. And North Africa is obviously the place near to Europe where green hydrogen should be produced for hydrogen to replace fossil fuels in the European economy of the future. All of that solar expanse of the Sahara Desert could be turned into renewables hydrogen production um solar energy that can then be piped in one format or another across the mediterranean into europe so you know it's a busy place there's a lot of stuff going on and um it's it's where the global manufacturers will compete for one of the few growing consumer markets in the future it's also a key um resource provider of both hydrocarbons fossil fuels and also future fuels so hydrogen and renewables mm, I, all of which is noted and as ever you make a compelling case on such things but uh, the reality is you and i could have had this conversation about potential at any point over the last 20 years and it would have been the same if potential were enough to get the ball rolling africa would have surpassed china and india by now but the reality is that Economic investment has been mired in persistent problems from security, politics, corruption, war, and predominantly on the shipping side, from uh, appalling infrastructure that, you know, even with the billions of dollars pouring in from Beijing, is going to take decades to improve sufficiently for trade to accelerate. You seem to be suggesting that we're now at that mythical tipping point where the potential cannot be ignored and progress is now a reality. So, Tell me, why is this conversation different now? Yeah, I think there are two reasons. One, I think there are um, developments in governance in a lot of African nations which are positive uh, and, and show potential for improvement so that financiers won't just look at Africa as risk. They'll see it as a pricing opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and secondly, the, the, the actual fact upon the ground of China's tens hundreds of billions of dollars of investment in in africa make it make clear that it is uh it's a growing consumer market as well as a growing commodities export market which can't be ignored for people who are interested in international trade yes yeah and and, and of course the emergence of more secure forms of financing supported by blockchain technologies that changes the picture as well africa has leapfrogged places like europe in becoming a cashless economy you know, you can send money with your mobile phone very easy across the African continent now. Um, it's because, you know, it's becoming a cashless economy and, and becoming, therefore, a financially more secure and, and better governed place um, that can stretch potentially to 
large scale international investment and infrastructure projects and so on, for sure. And then we're back to the infrastructure issues. You know, we've seen so many cycles of enthusiastic investment and new projects announced only to then not happen or become embroiled in various scandals. The turnover of various national port authorities is higher than cargo in some places. South Africa, so often cited as having real potential, that's routinely troubled with uh, rail hinterland issues. West Africa was pinpointed as a key growth market for container shipping only a few years ago. It's stuck with security issues. And then, of course, the downturn forced carriers to scale back on services, while uh, you know a plethora of new port developments that were earmarked for that region, they were either postponed or abandoned entirely a while back. East Coast investment, well, that's happening in Somalia now, I guess, with DP World, but that only comes after they got their fingers burnt in Djibouti, of course. The potential is always there, but it's always frustratingly out of reach. Maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong. Perhaps uh, let's hope this is a, a real turning point. Um, now, you're, you're speaking at African Shipping Conference next week, hence the uh, timeliness of this conversation. Give us a few highlights of uh, what you're going to be regaling them with there and uh, why you think it is different this time. Africa's challenges and opportunities are the same as the world's challenges and opportunities. You know, you've got tensions between yes and China, which will be played out in Africa as they will in the Indo-Pacific, as well as in Latin America. You've got issues with the Federal Reserve. They're definitely going to weaken the dollar further this year. Weak dollar usually means strong commodity prices and high shipping prices, um, which can be swings and roundabouts in terms of whether or not it's in your favor as a commodity exporter or an importer of goods. Um, but it also drives down the cost of borrowing in dollars, which is potentially of interest for, for developing and emerging markets. It usually ramps up GDP growth in places like Africa when that happens. So uh, the positive thing is that, you know, Africa's got a bull running commodity prices for the things it import, exports. It's got a, a weak dollar scenario for the things it imports. Those can help it with UN sustainable development goals and general economic development. It's got a growing population. It's got a, a population in, enjoying, barring the current pandemic, longer lifespans, better education, better access to financial services and to telecommunications, to infrastructure and to transport, barring the inability to get on a plane to the UK, for instance, at the moment. But, you know, moving beyond the current pandemic. There's a lot of positive things about what's happening in Africa at the moment. Um, it's still dominated by, you know, a few of the major economies. More than half of Africa's imports go to just five countries, South Africa, Egypt, Morocco, Algeria, and Nigeria. And 40% um, and of its imports come from just five countries, China, France, US, Germany, India. So there's still a lot of development to go around that sort of cluster of the of the leading African nations. But it's uh, it's growth in especially its growth potential, especially beyond current fossil fuels and hydrocarbons production and export is is really what fascinates me. I mean, the dry cargo story actually isn't that exciting for Africa at the moment. I use data from Ocean Bolt. I don't know if you know them, this Norwegian startup, but we're their data partner for us. And, and their data shows that actually there's been a, a, a flat dry cargo export for the last three, four years, very little growth you know, overall in African dry cargo exports and actually a fall in coal. Nothing to do with Africa's inability to supply, but that's because of the general peak coal story that's starting to develop. 
Um, but when you look at their potential in in things like natural gas, their natural gas output has grown on average by I think 13% a year every year from 1990 to 2018. That's the last year for which we have data. Their um, their wind and solar power has been growing substantially faster than that by about 80% a year from a very low base. Mm. Um, you know, the global offshore industry is going to have to move from oil and gas platforms to renewables platforms. We've seen Keppel pull out of building offshore oil and gas, for instance, in Singapore. And they'll look much more at renewables. Massive, massive wind opportunities in Eastern Africa, Southern Africa and Northwest Africa for offshore wind development and the shipping opportunity there for, for building and developing and maintaining and servicing all of that is a very overlooked sector, I think. You know, it's a, it's a global sector. US wants to install 30 gigawatts over the next 20 years. China's talking about 60 gigawatts. Well ahead of those sort of numbers in Western Europe these days, you could easily be looking at, at 60 to 100 gigawatts offshore wind in Africa to supply Africa itself with energy over the next few years. But also, um, as the hydrogen economy takes hold, we have seen the start, for instance, of liquefied hydrogen shipping. So Kawasaki's um, frontier ship has recently arrived in in Japan with the first cargo of liquefied hydrogen from Australia. And I wrote a piece a while ago estimating what the demand for liquefied hydrogen tankers might be. Who knows yet? But in a world where we have 800 LNG tankers, why wouldn't we have 800 liquefied hydrogen tankers in the future if we were to replace LNG with hydrogen, for instance? And a lot of that liquefied hydrogen come, could, could come from renewables infrastructure that could be cheaply constructed in Africa. Yeah, we've got the governance issue. You know, you've got the... Um, uh, the government risk issue that you always have in certain African economies. But I think that, you know, the Chinese have demonstrated that you can get around some of those governance issues in, through close partnership. And yes, you have to put money at risk. You've got to be prepared, you know, that you're going to lose on some of those projects and some of those deals. But I think that the the new American attitude to Africa, this pivot to Africa that's being flagged from Washington suggests that, strategic competition played out in Africa between the US and China will only increase investment in Africa as both an import and an export region with a growing population and a growing proportion of the world's population in the coming 30 years. And that's bound to improve its prospects for trade and therefore it makes it a more interesting place for shipping. Mm. Well, and that was my next question, bringing this back to the shipping aspect of it. Shipping is going to be at the tail end, I guess, of all this uh, frothing investment and optimism you're talking about. Do you think now is the time that shipping should be looking at Africa or is it one of those equations where they wait to see other indicators first and then move? Mm, mm. Well, the shipping will always go where the trade is, you know, and that, that, that trade growth is already happening. You know, the development of large scale container ports in Africa like the new 18,000 TU container terminal in Nigeria as a, as a hub for the Gulf of Guinea, the construction of hundreds of kilometres of railways out of that further north into the West African bump, um, uh, the construction of railways in Uganda, Kenya, roads as well that the Chinese are doing. That, that infrastructure, that access to markets is happening. Mm. Uh, and that means there'll be more, more goods at more ports in greater volumes in the future. So... 
you know, a few years ago, Maersk was saying that the, the, the biggest growth they were experiencing was on the WAFMAX trades, you know, Europe to West Africa. And that's just that was just an indication of the start of this process, yeah. um, which will which will only continue. OK, in the end, in the end, shipping follows economics and the economics in the end is all about demographics, you know, and, uh, and Africa has a demographic ace card for the next 30 years. Well, we're still early enough in the year for me to think that this is, uh, you know, this is a good time to be optimistic. So <laughs> we will see. It's nice to have something, uh, particularly around Africa, where normally we're just talking about piracy threats and uh, and, and various things going south, uh, to have an optimistic view. So uh, once again, uh, Mark Williams from uh, Shipping Strategy, thank you very much for joining the voice of this podcast. Always welcome. Lovely to speak to you.